0: Welcome back into the Royal Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield. Joined as always by Alex Duval. What's up, man?
1: Joel, I'm doing well. Just had a nice uh, two week break from 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 life. Really, at the end of our school year. So, um, you know, we've been we've been relaxing a little bit. Been doing a little, watching some minor league baseball, watching some major league baseball. Um, College baseball's in swing. It's a it's a great time of year. I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks uh, ever since school got out, so really excited to kick it up a little bit here with the draft
0: coverage. Yeah, absolutely. The draft season is right around the corner. We're a little under a month away. The draft has coincided with the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star break in Colorado, so uh, we're normally in about a week or so or even right about now, the Major League Baseball draft is happening right around the time of the College World Series. It's moved to July 11th through 13th in Colorado. So we get a whole month to really figure things out. We're starting that, that draft coverage today. Uh, we actually have two interviews for you on this episode. We're going to be talking to Joe Doyle, uh, scouting director for Prospects Live, and then Jeff Ellis, who has helped us do the last two drafts, uh, I believe, in, the, in 19 and then 20, kind of before everything shut down. But third time on the show talking about the draft. This is, this is going to be a ton of fun, man. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the draft is one of my favorite things to cover just because it's, there's so many moving pieces and it's not like the NFL where I think the NFL, you truly get a combination of the, every pick is the team dictating, or they're telling you who they think the best player available is combined with position of need. And in baseball, you know, it's not always best player available because there are signing bonus games that can be played. It's sure it's it's never about position of need because right. you know, that it takes so long for those guys to get there. So what you're seeing is a, a combination of of scouting. It is um there's some analytics in terms of like which guy do we project to be the best based on past guys that have been drafted. It's scouting grades, it's signing bonus games. So there's a lot of fun stuff to cover. Um We've already released our first draft rankings, our sec- second round of draft rankings, our updated draft rankings will be out tomorrow. Uh, so if you're listening to this on Monday, it'll be out sometime on Monday as we're recording on Sunday night. Um, it'll be out on Monday. And then we will have not a mock draft because, like, we don't I- – I'm not talking to anyone in Detroit. Like, hey, who's Detroit going to take? Um, you know, so it's it's hard for us to do a mock draft of sorts, but we'll have, like, a, like a faux draft. Um, here at the website in just a little while, um, where we get together, we get some pref lists out and tell you what we would do if we were these teams drafting, and then also we'll have some prospect profiles of some guys you should know for the royals so a lot of draft coverage ready to come up always as always with our normal minor league coverage so really excited about the couple of weeks ahead here as we prepare for the draft, which is July eleventh
0: there we go. There, there's a ton. It's nice to kind of to do go back and forth now between what the minor league system is doing and now, the, you know, the truly the future of what the Royals organization is because it's going to get better. We're going to see more guys in the system uh, here in the next month or so, and that's really exciting. Before we get into our first interview, we're going to have Joe Doyle on first. Uh, thank you guys and listeners and everybody else, uh, anybody that can listen to this, for getting us to 10,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, we're almost at t- 10,300 now. This has been a long time coming and I know Alex has Alex has been here for over a year, you know, helped found this thing. And then I joined a year later. It's been so cool to see the growth of this site, but that a lot of it is because of you guys, uh, allowing us to do this and appreciate and actually liking the work that we do. Uh, it really does mean a lot. That was a really cool day, a moment for us to see that, that 10,000 follower come on. So, uh, thank you guys so much. And here's the next 10,000 because it's not, it's not going to be very long before we get that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We we appreciate you guys following along, and hopefully we can keep you know keep sharing our love of minor league baseball with you guys.
0: All right, without further ado, here's our interview with Joe Doyle. Hope you guys enjoy it. Joining us now uh, is Joe Doyle. He is the MLB Draft Director for Prospects Live. He also does some work uh, over at Lookout Landing covering the uh, the Mariners for SB Nation, and he's joining us now. To talk a little MLB Draft. How's it going, man?
2: Doing well, man. I'm uh, excited to join you guys. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're really excited. You know, The draft normally is about now, but we've got to wait another month for it. But we're really ramping up our, our coverage here and talk about you know, what the future of the Kansas City Royals looks like here. Uh, picking seventh in this year's draft. I want to start here first. And I know Alex has some other stuff, but in your, your most recent one, you have Jordan Waller falling to, the, to number seven with the Royals, who's you know, one of the top prep shortstops in this draft. There's also other publications that have Kumar Rocker, who a lot of people could still consider one of the top prospects, uh, in this draft, top pitching prospect, him and Leiter. It's really weird thinking about two players that coming into the year were consensus top three felt like picks falling to seven. Is there, is there maybe some smoke screen happening? Like some, maybe some like NFL draft type stuff, or could this be, is there some validity to some of these top players falling that far?
2: You know, I think with the Royals, what you're what you're kind of looking at is picking seventh, there's a crop of six or seven guys there that make a lot of sense. Um Marcelo Meyer and Khalil Watson, Jordan Lawler, Brady House, and then of course you got Jack Leiter. And for us, we have Harry Ford in that same conversation with Jackson Job. And Kamar Rocker is kind of number seven or eight. Uh and I think what Dayton Moore is gonna have to do is just kind of sit back, relax, and and see who falls to them. For us, uh, looking at you know what we know and what we don't know and some of the teams ahead of the Royals, it just so happened that Jordan Lawler was on the board and available. Uh, Kamar rocker was also on the board and available but when you're looking at a team that has drafted so well in the past, having a high upside prep talent like Lawler on the board is such a such a coup for Dayton Moore that we just we didn't see them as a team that would want to pass that by Now that said, We have heard rumblings at Prospects Live in in different manifestations that the Royals are looking at uh, Sam Bachman. They're looking at uh, Kamar Rocker as possible quick to the big leagues uh, type contributors. And so I think that's where you kind of get that uh, where you kind of get that narrative that's been floating around. They could go in a number of directions, but um, with Lawler on the board, it was just too much of a value for us to pass up. So
1: you're. You you really believe there's a better than good chance that Rocker is – even if the Royals don't take him, there's a better than good chance he will be on the board at seven.
2: I mean, I, I don't want to put any, um you know, percentages on it or or label it or anything like that. I mean, we've still got – Rocker's still going to have at least, you know, you'd think two more starts, maybe one more start in the College World Series, and that's where he gained his fame. Um, if he goes out and throws, you know, eight innings of 15 strikeout ball, um, he, he could, you know, surge once again. But basically what we've seen over the last two months is I think more than anything, just a little bit of prospect fatigue surrounding Kamar Um And, you know, when you've been a guy that's been on this stage for so long uh, it gives people the opportunities to kind of nitpick a little bit and, uh, the lack of a change-up or the lack of a, a solid change-up is certainly a little bit of a concern. The fastball command is obviously something that's been well documented. But, you know, when you come out and you dominate East Carolina like you did this past week, um, a lot of those conversations can shift. So it's it's a wait and see right now. I could certainly see Kamar Rocker sneaking back up into the top four or five picks. But if I were a betting man, um, I would probably say there's a reasonable chance he makes it to six or seven right now. There's there's a piece
1: to this that I I don't know how many players would actually try to exercise this, but you know help me understand. Make sure I have this right. That all of the college players, so Kamal Rocker being a traditional junior, Jack Leiter being a traditional draft eligible sophomore, in terms of college eligibility, these guys are still technically by the book definition draft eligible sophomores and in lighter's case technically a freshman correct
2: so he is technically a second year draft eligible player is how i would say it things have gotten so convoluted with the new terminology surrounding covid freshman and true sophomore and um you know all of these different ways to to designate a player i would just call him a second year or a, yeah, a, a second year draft eligible player, which is rare. I would say probably only you know ten percent of guys that go to college actually um, fit into that bucket. You have to be uh, twenty years old and ten months to qualify for the draft. If you're in your second year in college, and Jack fits that bill,
1: yeah. So I guess what the the kind of the question I have is: Is there any way that Jack Leiter uses that extra year of eligibility that the NCAA has granted these guys? And and tries to tries to pinch some some more money out and says, hey, if you don't want to give me seven million dollars, because so I'll, I'll jump to this real quick. And your guys' fifth mock draft, you guys ran. You have Jack Leiter fourth overall to Boston. So, you know, typically uh, fourth overall, I think Asa Lacey got just over six million last year. Let's say Jack Leiter wanted to demand eight million dollars, or I'll go back to school and still be technically, or, or you know. Still have two years of eligibility after that in the NCAA. Is there any chance these guys try to pinch some extra dollars out of teams, or do you think it'll be pretty well, um, you know, a standard operating procedure in terms of like bonus
2: signings and stuff? Yeah, I think this year, uh, more years than most, you're going to see teams trying to cut deals. It's a very prep-heavy year, and I think teams are going to be looking for value in the second, third, and fourth round more than most years. Um, so, in that regard, you know every representation for every player is different. And every, every guy has a specific number that they put on their on their value. Here's my thing with Jack. If you're selected in the top four and the Royal or not the Rose, the Red Sox have a, a slot bonus of the fourth pick. I think it's $6.6 million. Um, if, if Jack isn't willing to take, you know, $6.3 million or even $6.6 million, you're betting pretty heavily that you are, not only going to go back to school and do it all over again, but you're going to be a top five pick again next year. And one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is when you do go back to school, you know, ultimately you do lose leverage because you're running out of eligibility uh, in the draft. And, uh, you know, every year that you're older, um, your profile is marginally more, uh, you know, unappealing to teams because you are maxing out um, developmentally. So in in Lighter's case, I my understanding is he is looking for you know big money, top five money. Um, I think if someone were to in the top four were to step up and offer him six point five, six point six million dollars to sign, uh, personally, and you know I'm glad, I, I I'm kind of glad I'm not in this position. I don't walk away from that guaranteed money and and risk an arm injury or risk uh, performance woes, or anything uh, that could come up with, you know, pitching at the college level for another year.
1: That makes sense. And it, and it kind of leads, and you kind of brought up um, a good transition to my, second, my you know, my next question here. The, the, you guys have Harry Ford, who's a, who's a prep player. Um, I know I've seen him mostly behind the plate, but you guys have listed second base in the outfield as well. Baltimore last year goes Heston Kierstad, number two overall, cut an under-slot deal with him. And I've seen a few mocks recently with Baltimore uh, suggesting they're going to go Sal Freelich um, out of Boston College with another underslot deal at number five. If that's a, if that's their strategy and that's something they decide they want to do, they want to go college outfielder, take a Murley under-slot, save money, whatever, um, Is there a chance that, you know, I I don't think a guy like Marcelo Mayer gets past three. I think it sounds actually like Detroit's in love with him, and that's where you've got him at the moment. Mm -hmm. But does, does a team like Baltimore going under slot create opportunities like Kansas City to have Jordan Lawler at number seven like you guys have? Or is there a chance that Jordan Lawler, Kamar Rocker, Khalil Watson, somebody like that,
2: gets to Kansas city, even if Baltimore doesn't go under slot. Yeah, I, absolutely. Baltimore is not the only team here that we could see going under slot. I think going under slot is going to be a very, very popular uh, move this year. I mean, I, Henry Davis is a, uh, is is about as sexy an under slot pick as, as you could probably imagine. Um, he could go anywhere in the top four. And I think um, his representation or, or Henry Davis would, um, Sign up for the ability to, to go under slot. You know, I'm, that's just me uh, surmising what they may be doing. But um, there's a lot of guys in that position. I, I think Khalil Watson is another one. You know, uh, he's committed to NC State right now. He, by all indications, seems like a guy that wants to sign out of high school and wants to go pro. Um, in that scenario, you would think that you could cut a deal with Khalil Watson. Um, so that's why we think that the top four picks, this entire draft is going to be very unpredictable. And for that reason, I think teams that are picking in that seven to 12 range kind of need to keep their, you know, keep their ears perked up because they may end up with guys on the board that they didn't expect to be available to them kind of fall into their lap. And I think Sal Frelick, just for the example, I think Sal Frelick is an excellent example because he's a guy that uh, has a very high floor. I don't know if the ceiling is all that, you know, robust, but he's going to move quick. He's going to play center field at the next level. He might have, like, uh, some field versatility where you can throw him at second base. And, you know, signing on for that with the the fifth pick and paying him, you know, five and a half uh, million dollars and saving... $650,000 for the second and third round. That's really, really appealing in a year like this year. It's interesting that you mentioned Khalil Watson as a type of player who could
1: do that because early on in our draft rankings, um, we personally had Khalil Watson number four. I know I actually talked to you about this. I was going back and looking at our conversation about this. Um, What was this? Back in the middle of May, and we kind of talked about, you know, could Khalil Watson jump up? into the top 10 is it is is he someone you think that the royals could be interested in at number seven um and now you guys have khalil watson at number two um is that is that more of a of a draft game or is this something where you guys have seen khalil watson a little more and he is legitimately like a
2: top three or four player in the draft i think you can make the case that it's both Uh, khalil watson has proven that he deserves every bit the recognition to be in the same um stratosphere as Lawler and Meyer, in our opinion, Uh, Tyler Jennings is one of our key contributors over at prospects Live. He's been to four of Watson's games this spring. Uh, He saw him at WWBA. He saw him all along the way uh, last summer and he's gotten stronger. His pitch recognition and his approach have gotten more mature. Uh, I think Cleo Watson is proving without a doubt, and especially with that swing, it's such a sweet swing um, that he deserves to be in the conversation And when you kind of match that with the general industry consensus that Watson is going to be very signable, it makes for a pretty intriguing um, profile at the top of the draft. And that's why we're hearing his name with Texas. That's why we're hearing his name and have heard his name quite a bit with Boston. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if he went to Pittsburgh at 1-1. He's a very special talent and um, any organization would be really lucky to bring him on.
1: It sounds like then based on your mock which has Kamar Rocker 11 which I know Royals fans are going to you know would be in love with that pick at number 7. You guys actually have Lawler who's number 2 on our board um at number 7 to the Royals. Um it sounds like the Royals are in a really good really good spot to get a really good player. In your mind if the draft goes perfectly, the stars align specifically for the Kansas City Royals what is the the best possible outcome between things that you've heard, where you've got guys on your board? Like what is the best possible outcome in terms of the Royals getting the best and also like reasonably falling to number seven, like the best player that could get there?
2: I think in a perfect world, the best player that could get to Kansas City and just given their timeline, given where they're at, um, if if this draft pops off as prep-heavy and we see Lawler, Meyer, House, Ford, Job, and Watson go one through six, which I don't think is going to happen, but you know, throw in Frelick in there or throw in Davis in there. Um, if Jack Leiter were to fall to number six for the Royals, I just don't think there's a way that you can walk away from that, um, especially given their competitive window. They've got so much pitching right now that looks to kind of anchor what could be the next window for Kansas city. And I think if you were throw Jack lighter in there, he could conceivably be in the big leagues in July of, of 2022. He's that good. He's that developed. I honestly, one of my fears with Jack lighter is I don't know how much more he can develop um, with the exception of command for some of the breaking stuff, but it's all already so good that injecting Jack lighter into a rotation with, you know, Bubich and uh and, and, you know, all these different players, Singer. Uh, the Royals would just be stacked in a rotation, and then you can supplement that with uh, with some good different lineup pieces through free agency. But I think it would open up an immediate window from 2023 to 2026 for Kansas City to compete. So I've
1: personally um, seen both those guys and watched a lot of Vanderbilt baseball this year and i get everybody having lighter ahead of rocker like especially right now like i i do i get it but am i wrong do you think to say that if both players hit their top 1% outcome that rocker has the better ceiling than lighter
2: i think so but a lot of that is so incumbent on on the frame and the body, that you know, it's almost a disservice to Jack because he's working with the smaller frame, he's working with um, you know, having to truly optimize what he can do on the mound. But that being said, you know, Jack has shown a curveball, he's shown a slider, a cutter, a changeup, and a dominant four-seam fastball. Uh, whereas if you, if you can get, you know, three of those pitches to plus, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility the the fastball is already every bit a 70. Um, and then the curveball has at least flashed plus in the past. And I, I would like to see him use the slider a little bit more because I think it's a pretty good pitch. Um, but he just hasn't really needed to, um, and credit to Jack. I mean, he's modeling his approach in games, um, off tunneling models, which is the way you should do it. It's a pro approach. So in that regard, I think Jack has shown that he has um, a better understanding for pitchability and uh, a fuller arsenal right now. With Kamar, what you're getting is, yeah, you're getting a fastball that is you know at its best 94 to 97, touching 99. Um, the command hasn't been there, and the command hasn't been there for three years. Uh, the slider is slider-breaking ball, whatever you want to call it. It's every bit of 70, um, and he commands it, frankly – a grade and a half better than he commands his uh his fastball. And so for that reason, uh you know, you've got a a really high floor in Kamar Rocker, but he hasn't really shown good feel for a changeup. He hasn't shown good velocity separation on his changeup. Um he hasn't shown feel for throwing it to lefties. Uh so in, in that regard, yes, I think Kamar Rocker might have a higher ceiling just because of the uh clay that you're working with. Uh but with Jack, he's he's already shown such an immensely high floor and understanding of how to pitch that if I were a betting man, uh, if I were to put my chips on the table, I would put, you know, I'd put my money on Jack just because I think he's got the ingredients to be a starting pitcher at the big league level for a very long time. It's,
1: it would seem that there's a lot of people who agree with you. And, and by the way, also agree with you that best case scenario, this this draft goes like you said Henry Davis one, Sal Freelick in there, like maybe Baltimore at five, and then the rest of the top six go prep. And then like I, I, I personally think Jack Leiter won't get past Boston at four. But let's say he does get to number seven. It seems like the consensus would be that is the best case scenario that in a in a perfect world that somehow he is the best player that Kansas City could physically keep could physically acquire. Let's say that Kansas City um, has six guys on their board that are clear cut, the six best players, and then after those top six players, they're kind of meh. If they were going to go under slot, if they were going to sign someone that everybody went, whoa, that is clearly going to be for less money than slot value. That, per- that player is not in the top seven uh, of the best players available. Um, give us your best guess on
2: who that player might be. I think my pick would have to be one of the two college hitters that are still on the board. I like Matt McLean as a good fit for the Orioles. Um, I don't know if they specifically like him. He's not the, you know, biggest data darling, and uh, we know Baltimore is very, very invested and involved in uh, analytics. So, you know, I don't know if he makes the most sense. Um, but I, I think you could make the case that Baltimore has the need for additional uh, quick to the majors infield depth on their farm. I think that's something that they certainly need to bolster. Um, but the other one would probably be Colton Kowser. I think Colton Kowser is, a, he's going to move quick. I think he's a, you know, a future left fielder that you can bat anywhere between second, fifth, sixth in your lineup. Uh, he's going to hit. Uh, I think he makes a lot of sense and could save you a good chunk of change. But I mentioned this guy at the top, um, a guy that I really think the Royals, Royals fans need to watch out for is Sam Bachman. Uh, you know, this guy fills up. He checks every box that the Royals would be looking for. Um, he's going to move extremely quick. Uh, if you think you have all the rotation pieces you needed to compete in 2022, Bachman can shut it down in the eighth and ninth inning as as a floor. Um, but also, you know, he could be a starting pitcher, a legit Dustin May type starting pitcher at the big league level in 2023 once he continues to work that change up and uh, finds consistent command with the slider. But I think for a number of reasons, Sam Bachman makes sense for the Royals and you might be able to save a little bit more money on Bachman than you could save on Rocker with the seventh pick. So he would be my my big sleeper to watch out for. I've got one
1: more question for you, Joe, and then I know Joel's got one or two as well. Sure. Um, right now, the Royals have very little, if any, true center field talent in the system outside of like Eric Pena, who still hasn't debuted in A-ball and quite frankly, I think is a right fielder long term anyway. If the Royals were going to target a uh, defensive first center fielder that you're going to try to project the bat, whether that's in round one at number seven, like an underslot deal, or even in the second round or later, um, who who is your favorite defensive center field prospect
2: whose bat is good enough to go in rounds one through three. Yeah, I mean, Frelick makes a lot of sense straight out of the gate. Uh, He's going to stick in center. He's got a plus arm for a center fielder. He's a 70-grade runner, um, strong makeup. Uh, The guy's just a gritty, grinder, cold-weather bat. I I think, um, you know, Kansas City would do really well with adding Frelick. I've been pretty public that I have some apprehension on the ceiling of the bat. Um, he has good bat speed, but you know, he only hit like one home run I think since March. Um, so there's been a little bit of a power outage. Um, don't, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but I I think more than likely if they don't go with Frelick in the first round, you're probably looking at a second round high school type. Um, if Will Taylor were to fall that far, I, I think he's an excellent fit. I think he makes a lot of sense. He is a dynamo in terms of defensively in center field. Again, questions on whether or not he's going to um, impact the baseball enough to be a big league regular, but um, I've heard several comparisons to like Sam Fold on, uh, on Will Taylor. So I think that's an intriguing uh, bat in the second round. I, I think you could look for a guy like, um, like Christian Franklin out of Arkansas in the second round. I think there's a legitimate chance he could fall that far. He's a plus defender in center field. He takes excellent rounds to the ball. Um, at least an above average arm, Uh, you've seen the raw power. I mean, it might be 60 grade raw power, but there's uh, definitely some approach issues and some swing and miss in his game that needs to be cleaned up. But I think he's the type of bat that, you know, you can bet on in the second round, give him some pretty good money and uh, try and develop the bat into a place where he can go out, hit 240, hit 245, hit 18 to 20 home runs and play an excellent center field. I, I think he makes a lot of sense.
0: So sticking kind of in the rounds two through three you know, on your guys' draft uh, mock draft, you have the Royals taking uh, Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher out of Miami. Uh, who are some other guys that Royals fans should keep an eye on in rounds two to three? Uh, like a guy like Christian Franklin, who's a guy that Alex and I are pretty intrigued by. Who are some other guys to keep an eye on there for for Royals fans to look to?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a big one is going to be Christian Franklin. I mean, Dayton Moore has has seen a ton of Christian Franklin. Um, you know his son Robert Moore plays for Arkansas, so he's always tuned into what Christian Franklin is capable of. Uh, so I think he's a guy that you certainly want to watch for. We we tabbed Adrian Del Castillo to the Royals because uh, Salvador Perez trains with Adrian Del Castillo or vice versa. Uh, they're familiar with the bat. He's obviously a, a good value this far down, uh, considering you know he hasn't answered any of the questions in terms of defense and power that a lot of people were looking for. But as you go down the board a little bit, um, I think Justice Thompson out of North Carolina makes some sense. He might be a, a sexy second or third round pick. Um, he is a long, long strider in center field. Big, six foot four, lean body, uh, can really go get it. Uh, he's got at least above average raw power that he seems to be tapping into this year. And the hit tool has really exploded onto the scene like a lot of people didn't expect. So I think he's a name to probably watch out for. Um, some of the other guys, I know that the Royals have been um, out to see Frank Mazzucato quite a bit out of, uh, I think it's Connecticut or New Jersey. He's a cold-weather high school arm. I don't see him personally falling into the second round, but um, the Royals have gone for high school arms in the past. I think he could be uh, one that they go after kind of in a Ben, uh, ben Hernandez type of mold. Uh, and then as you continue to go down the down the board, you know, you look at guys like Matthew Nelson, you look at guys like Jaden Hill, You look at guys like Alex Spinellis, those famous college performers that have had a down year. You know, I think they they make some sense as you continue to move forward and see what sort of uh, I don't want to say bargains, but what sort of values you can get with guys that are maybe coming off a bumpy year that you can expect more out of moving forward. So I would expect, like any other year, uh, the Royals to save a little bit of money with their first pick in some way. Ah, uh, they're gonna grab a, a high-profile prep, probably in the second round if they don't in the first round, and then I would look for you know some of those steady college performers or bargain plays uh, that Dayton Moore has you know really cashed in on in the past. Uh,
0: so one last question, and we'll get you out of here. Um, as I, I mentioned off air before we uh, started recording, I obviously live in Kansas City. I'm a Royals fan, have been since I'm here, but my heart is with the Seattle Mariners. You do work for Lookout Landing. Um, kind of to humor me for a second, who's someone that the, Royals, that the Mariners uh, could take? I believe it's 12 or 13 in the strap.
2: Yeah, the Mariners pick at number 12. Um, I had mentioned this earlier in the pod. I think a lot of the teams in that 7 to 12 range are really in a wait and see mode because there's going to be deals cut. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the guy that immediately jumps to mind in terms if everything goes chalk above them is Matt McClain. That's who we have mocked to them. They need help at shortstop. Uh, They don't really have much besides Noel V. Marte, who still hasn't proven defensively that he can handle that sort of um, opportunity at the big league level. So I think Matt McLean makes some sense. He's not a reach at pick number 12. He's not necessarily a sexy pick, but um, he checks a lot of boxes, you could say. But, you know, if if everything were to break um, well for Seattle, I, I guess Harry Ford would be a name that they would really like to see fall to number 12. Um, you guys mentioned earlier catcher second base outfield plug and play just put him somewhere on the field and let the bat eat uh, and then I would look for a couple of uh, different college pitchers I, I know Gavin Williams and Sam Bachman have been especially interesting to the team but I think more than anything it, it's hard to project where Seattle is going to go they want a bat but they're totally in a wait and see mode
0: all right well I appreciate that I, I'm not as in plugged in with the like that kind of stuff when it comes to the Mariners. I appreciate the insight there. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your insights uh, all across the board on this. Uh, thank you so much, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon, either you know right before the draft or right after we can recap.
2: Absolutely. I would love to join you guys again. It's been fun, uh, and hopefully the Royals end up with who you're looking for.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But before we get you out of here, uh, plug your social media really quick so that people can follow the work you're doing leading up to
2: the draft. Sure. You can find all of my work at Prospects Live, uh, direct, uh, director of draft content there. We're going to be putting out uh, one more mock draft. We're going to be putting out a top 600. Uh, you can find me at, at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B. You can also find my work on the Seattle Mariners at Lookout Landing.
0: I right, appreciate it, Joe. Look forward to talking to you soon. We are now joined by Jeff Ellis. This is the third year in a row he's come on to talk to you about the MLB draft with us. And we're excited to have him back again. How's it going?
3: You know, it's going well i was just telling you guys uh, before we started uh i'm a little bit slow on the writing doesn't mean i've been slow on the digesting uh but uh the school year just ended tuesday so uh for those of you who have been like where's uh where's jeff's normal amount of work uh, it'll be coming I, everything's coming slowly i've been able to watch i haven't had as much time to write but it's it's a f- interesting class uh i don't know if i want to say they give it like the the label of like it being a top shelf class it does have depth because of how short the lack of depth i should say of last year's class class but this is it's a fun one to talk about for those reasons so as, absolutely oh, go ahead joel
0: so yeah so you mentioned you're not going able to do a ton of writing but on twitter this was a couple of uh couple of weeks ago may 27th you posted just a mock you know mock draft in a twitter twitter thread uh, for, you know, your prediction, at least at this point. And you have the Royals taking Kumar Rocker at seven. I posed this question to uh, to Joe Doyle previously, but this feels like something, you know, you, Rocker coming into the year, obviously, was a you know, pretty much a consensus one-one, it felt like, or pretty close to at least top three. And now he's fallen, you know, is obviously fallen down a little bit, but is there, is there it feels like, we're, with how many different publications have Rocker around that seven range? Is there some validity to you think there is a legitimate chance he's there and the Royals w- can take him at seven?
3: I think there's a good chance he's there. The shortstops and the way they have just risen, risen, risen gives it a, a much greater chance. I think a lot of um, why he is there, honestly, is just because something else we talked about off mic is the Royals are hard to pin down. They'll kind of bounce around a bit. But one thing they have liked is college pitching. Uh, so when you get to that point, in the, and they have also like, named talent like when you get down to it, uh, when they didn't go with uh, the college pitcher recently and they had the high pick, they went with Bobby Witt, who was arguably the biggest like name in the draft, who had had the most talk over you know the past few years leading up to that draft. Uh, so I think it's a situation where this is a well-known player. You go back to, see, this is the what, 2018 classes, Ethan Hankins and Kumar Rocker were the players over the summer. We're talking about his potential 1-1 pitchers. Hankins just had Tommy John for the Indians. Rocker had, and he's been great. He's been a fantastic (laughs) pitcher at Vandy. He has pitched even better in the postseason. Uh, It almost feels like the reason he is there is less about what he has done and maybe a little bit more about how people are liking some other players. But I I think, I wouldn't necessarily say there's any heat from the Royals because again, they tend to be pretty you know closed about what they're doing but i think a lot of the information is just logic and but i i will say i do think logically he could be there
1: i want to i want to make a comment and then i'll let you react to my opinion of of kamar rocker um i i tend to think and i want to check your big board real quick make sure i don't accidentally yeah you got him number four so you got him a little bit higher than most people at this point which is insane but I think 99% of what people are saying about Kamal Rocker in terms of being there at seven and, and their reasoning for it is 1,000% prospect fatigue. And I'll give you an example. When Brady Singer, heading into 2018, was thought of to be a top five arm, definitely a top ten player in the draft, he pitched not just as well as Casey Mize did that year, but he was really good. Like the the their performance on the field was was probably not seventeen spots in the draft different. And then, so Casey Mize goes number one. Brady Singer falls to the Royals at eighteen. This year, Kumar again Kumar Rocker thought of to be a top five pick for sure. Goes out there and puts up better numbers in twenty twenty one than Casey Mize did in 2018, or I don't actually have him pulled up. The last time I looked, I was like, yeah, those are – they're they're better numbers or just as good. And folks have them all the way down to, like, number seven. Like I said, you still got them number four on your board. And really, with Henry Davis, Jack Leiter, Jordan Lawler, Kamar Rocker, Marcelo Mayer, like I could see Rocker being anywhere in the top five. But for a lot of the folks who think he's out of the top ten or – really don't think he's a top five prospect in this draft. It really feels like prospect fatigue. So I guess what I'm asking, Jeff, is sell me. If the Royals decide, let's say Rocker's there at seven and they pass. They take somebody else at seven. Sell me on not standing outside of Kauffman Stadium with a pitchfork and torch on draft night if they pass on Rocker. Try Try to make me okay with that.
3: Okay. There's two approaches to this. One, I agree with you. I think prospect fatigue is a real thing and we see it all the time. Um, my board, I'm probably going to move things around a bit. Uh, I'll be honest, he's still going to be top five. Let's just put it there. Uh, there's part of me that actually wants to put him ahead of Lighter at this point in time. I know that goes against uh, the thing, but the, the the thought right now. But the thing with Rocker, it's, as you said, he's he. not only was he great all season, he did have some ups and downs. But he's continued to be this like nails postseason guy, which has been his history. So you'd think all that would come together to help him. So the two ways to pitch this uh, is if it enters a situation where maybe someone like Jordan Lawler falls like that. That's a possibility. I know I was doing a on my uh, we do this locker room thing through locked on and I had to talk for 30 minutes. So actually last night, uh, it's no way anyone could find or listen to it because it's gone after. I mean, I have the recording. But I did a mock. I did a 51-pick mock on the podcast just as something to do. And it got to the point where there was Rocker versus Lawler there. And it was a big debate. I still went with Rocker uh, just based on the history. But I could see that happening. And then the other way to sell it would be, to me, there's kind of a clear top nine players. No one can argue that there's you know, maybe a tier that's like a top four to five, and then there's another tier. But I think there's a real clear top nine. And after that, it's just from pick 10 to pick 30. Shake it up in a bag, uh, pick anyone out, and you're going to probably feel about the same. So, if it's a situation where you can maybe get someone like Sal like, I know he's not anywhere near as sexy, but if you save like two or three million dollars, and then you're able to come back and use that money because this is a super deep class, to you know, essentially, if you you go under slot, it's like trading back in the NFL draft, right? So, if they essentially do the equivalent of trading back without trading back, it's it's you're saving that pool money. So in a deep class, maybe there's a logic to that. If you can save, like I said, if there's like a two million dollar difference in signing, you could conceivably add two, maybe three top fifty guys by having that amount of extra money. So that that would be the only other way to sell out. But I agree, rocker there. I I don't get why everyone wants to just forget about him or outside of I agree, you know, prospect fatigue is real and it happens. And that's what happened with Nick Gonzalez to a degree last year. I know it also happened because he was a small school guy and uh, his last performance was not great before the the, uh, the draft, before the season shut down, I should say. But, you know, we saw a guy who, looking back now, should have undoubtedly gone much higher, higher. It happens every year.
1: There's that first um, point you brought up about Jordan Lawler. I think I'd be okay with that. Like, on our board right now, I don't know if you've seen that we have uh, Rocker 1, Lawler 2, Lighter 3, Watson 4, Davis 5. So if they went with Lawler, our number two prospect over our number one, I would get it. I wouldn't be very happy, but I would get it. It just there's there's a lot of things about Kamar Rocker that remind me of Brady Singer. And I know Brady Singer, the ERA, hasn't been there and he's not getting super deep into games. Uh, but Brady Singer at the moment has a three point four six FIP, which makes his FIP over his first twenty five starts three point seven seven. And he spent like one year in the minors so I, there's there's a lot about kamar rocker i mean you're talking about right-handed sec pitchers with a fastball slider combo good command in some ways not elite um looking for the feel of a change-up i mean there's 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 a lot of things that strike me as being similar and i just think that kamar rocker even where his similarities with Brady Singer are I think his ceiling is much higher just in terms of like Brady Singer I don't think ever had like ace in potential in the big leagues like I was pretty sure Brady Singer was going to be a big league starter and he's been really good I just don't think that Brady Singer without the change up can be an ace in any capacity where I still think Kamar Rocker can be I think if if everything plays itself out and maybe it's a top 2% outcome but there's ace potential in Rocker and I just I'm glad to see Rocker still at number four on your board with the potential to go to Casey at seven, because that feels like the ultimate prospect fatigue as, as, as people are just kind of like looking for reasons not to draft him instead of like, again, with Casey Mize back in 2018 where, where folks were like almost like looking for reasons to make him the number one pick. And I don't know, maybe I'm off in my analysis of, of the way that people handled both pitchers, but um I don't know. It just, it just seems like, like very much like overthinking.
3: I, you know, I can only speak for myself. I know going back, I was, Mize was my gun to gun. Can I use that expression anymore? However you want to phrase it. He was my number one because of the, you know, I I'd spent a lot of time on the strikeout and walk ratio data and just how predictive that could be. And he was doing it on a team where he wasn't getting like great fielding support. And there was a lot of signs Whereas I was lower on singer um, because I know for me, the big thing was the mechanics and I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to hold up as a starter versus a reliever. So I, I said, I, you know, I can only speak to my, inform- and, and honestly, at the time I had a bit of Florida pitcher fatigue because there was a time where like Florida was like the greatest pitching place. And then all of a sudden everyone started to not be successful from there. And you, uh, maybe I'm, you know, I've had some people come at me about this in the past. I've talked about there are certain programs that, have some hiccup years or just don't produce at all. It's like University of Virginia. I know uh, Daniel Lynch is you know one of the top brass from Kansas City for there. It might have changed, but for the longest time, the fifth highest career war of any player from the University of Virginia was dire, uh, not exactly who you expect. And uh, they never produced a starting pitcher who had more than like one season with 20 starts, like just weird data like that. So sometimes I kind of can get a little too into the weeds on historical data. I'll be the first to admit that it is something I like to get into and look at, but uh, I know, like I said, in that particular case, it was just that Mize was dominant as a sophomore and a freshman. I think walk rate under two, like in the one eights, maybe one fives with the strikeout rate over 14 or at least over 13. So that's, what's the separator. Uh, I know leading up to the draft, it, it was interesting to see people fall in and off of both of those players, but that was yeah, that was just a a fun class. I think in the regard of, I mean, since that Mize pick, I mean, I guess Torkelson was no Torkelson wasn't even a slam dunk last year. I was trying to think if Mize was the last one who was a universal number one or not.
1: Yeah, I think, and actually, the point you made about uh, you know certain schools having success is, in my opinion, another reason to go with Rocker if he's there at seven. I mean, think about. Sonny Gray, Walker Buehler, David Price—just off the top of my head—is is coming out of Vanderbilt and having success. Um, I I don't mean to be anti Jack Leiter guy, but if no. there's if there's anybody in this draft that has like Carson Fulmer vibes or a Casey Mize vibes, where like maybe the hype doesn't totally match exactly what you're going to get, and I and I'm not super anti Casey Mize. I just never I never thought he was the best pitching prospect in baseball, but you know Jack Leiter. Of them has those vibes for me, and so I'm not. I'm not suggesting Jack Leiter. Like I would love him at number seven. I just don't understand. Then I don't think how in one token we can be super hyped on Jack Leiter and super excited about um, you know some of these other guys, and then like forget what Kamar Rocker has done in the same breath. So it's interesting to me. And I know we're spending a lot of time on Rocker. We can get to other guys, but I know Royals fans are salivating uh and maybe partially that's our fault for hyping rocker up so much but um if rocker is there at number seven and the royals don't draft him there's going to be a really i I really believe there'll be some kind of an outcry from from some royals fans um just because i think the perception is that you know between the production and the name and the potential that he's going to be the
3: guy a lot of royals fans want I think like an underrated story, honestly, with that Vandy Bill, Vandy Bill, nope, Vanderbilt, trying to combine both their names in one there is uh, while, you know, they have those names you've mentioned by and large, like a, they haven't developed like any hitters and B the recent recruiting classes have really not developed uh, guys like Jake, no, Jake Eddard is at somewhere else, but uh cart Chandler day, uh, Hugh Fisher is even there now, a lot of guys who had some run. So one could actually argue that, in some respects that rocker and lighter are doing this more on natural talent than what we've seen of late. Cause I'm trying to think the last guy that was like a real developmental success story for Fandy. It's been a little bit of time where they've had, when I mean, you're always going to miss high school kids, aren't going to always make it, but they have been, they've had a, a pretty high miss rate over the past few years. Uh, whenever I rip on the Virginia program, because it's, it's, and I don't have anything against the Virginia program. <laughs> I'm sure I have a few fans of my podcast who are from there. It's just, it, it's great data. It's something I can spit out, and it's just interesting to me. But those fans are always the first to point out that Vandy has uh, almost as ugly a developmental uh, history, uh, especially the number of first-round failures for them. So it is interesting with Lighter. I feel like a lot of his hype was because that mid-season like, shutout streak, maybe had a no-hitter in there. I can't remember all the specific details. But you can go into it since then, like the having to be shut down for a few games, He's given up a lot of home runs. Yeah. He's missing more bats. He's also walking more guys. Uh, he's harder to pick up his stuff, but he is going to be limited. Like my comp was like, I think the high ceiling for him is Aaron Nola and how much do you want to put on? Like, is that, is that worth the hype? Like Nola's a very good pitcher. Don't get me wrong, but is that worth the quite the hype level?
1: That's fair. I, I, yeah, I, I, the, the position players from Vandy is is something that I think is actually kind of interesting, um, especially like when when Jared and Kendall went really early to the mm-hmm. Dodgers a few years ago. That was always kind of kind of weird, and and I wonder if some of that isn't. Um, we look at Vanderbilt kind of like you know Alabama football, where well, if they're coming out of Vanderbilt, they must be X, Y, or Z. Where um, you know, I like you said, because of the name. I don't know if that specifically applies. I think rocker would be getting this kind of, yeah, this, kind no, I agree. Of even that like Auburn, like Casey Mize did. So no, I, I totally there's, there's probably something to that, um, that, that I don't fundamentally disagree with, but it is, it is kind of interesting, but I do think the pitchers that have come out of Vanderbilt, especially the big name ones have, have really held their own. I think Jake Eater is, is tearing up double a right now. So, um, it is it is interesting, and I and I understand what you're saying, but I hope I hope that if rockers are at seven, that the draft fatigue, that the prospect fatigue, hasn't made its way to the Royals front
0: office.
3: Yeah, I don't think it has. I, I think you know we. I was a big ASA Lacy guy, and I know he wasn't necessarily who everyone wanted last year at that pick. But it, they, you know, you look at the data that led them to draft him, and I feel like that data also leads you to Kumar Rocker. Just when you look at some of the uh strikeout data and you know also some of the the walk data because i mean neither of them are perfect control specialists right neither of them are guys who are going to have that low uh walk rate but they're both guys who miss a lot of bats and i think there's some room for similarity and they're both big that's the thing like would if 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 lighter and rocker on the board just knowing the royals and their history of draft picks would they even would it be a debate? Would that front office consider someone who's not six four bigger? I'm trying to think of the last non six four arm they drafted.
1: It is actually a good. I, I tweeted that out a little while ago that um, from from our account at Royals Farm Report that the Royals pitching prospects are big. Like the smallest one of the group is like Alec Marsh, and Alec Marsh is like six two two thirty. So um, even at I mean six two two thirty is not a small human being, and he's like the smallest one they have of the group right now. So there is something to that that I think is interesting, but um, we can we can move on to to somebody else because I could talk about Kamar Rocker all day, and I really don't want to accidentally do that. So, um, in the in the sake of time here, let's say the Royals go prep shortstop. Let's say I, I'm pretty sure Marcelo Myers' floor is going to be three, so we'll throw him out of the conversation. But I have seen um, Jordan Lawler, I've seen Khalil Watson, I've seen Brady House. Um, who is your, your personal preference of the three between Watson, House, and Lawler?
3: Yeah, it, I feel like day to day, Watson versus Lawler changes for me. Those two are very similar. And then I have House kind of a step down just because I, I think he's more probably a third baseman. He's got the better power. Uh, I was joking on our, the recording of yesterday. It's like in my, uh, for relaxation, I'll play OOTP from last year. He's in the game, and he just retired as a Hall of Famer in it. So that's who everyone should draft, obviously. He's worth eighty WAR for his career and hit six hundred home runs. But (laughs) all kidding aside, uh, you know Lawler is bigger. He's got athleticism, but Watson's more the twitch guy. He's not as big, and I think I I consider like personally someone like Cleo Watson is probably going to go in the top five. It's like a victory for people like me who, going back to two thousand twelve, have been. So, anti like height narratives. Uh, there was a time when the kill Khalil, Khalil Watson would not have gone top 10 because he's like 5'9, 5'10. And that, that was a real height issue. Jack Leiter would have probably had to wait to go in the later part of the top 10 because of height. And if there's one thing baseball has shown, it's like you know, I do a, a podcast about the Indians. It's like Jose Ramirez is five foot eight, if that he is five foot eight. I'm not going to make him any smaller than he is, he's like 5'8, 5'9. He hits the ball, you know, hard. There's a lot of guys height doesn't matter as much as like that quick twitch, that bat speed and being able to have a good launch angle and being smart. So for as much as like, I still see people being like, Oh, clearly Watson's got 10 to 15 home run power. I'm like, let's wait and see what he can do. Like he's got the bat speed and the twitch to have more. I got to see what his swing is like. I know it's a little slappy right now. If you can work with him, I think, you know, he might just athletic tools be higher than Lawler. Now Lawler is a little bit bigger. Uh, probably a little bit safer, has faced some better competition, but I, there's very little separate. It's like you lean towards Lawler and after everything I just said. You do lean to him a little bit just because of the safety with the size and who he's faced. But uh, at the end of the day, those two are so close. And I think you know they're both shortstops. Uh, House is a little bit lower because he's probably going to go to third, but just get ready for all the Corey Seeker statements with him. That's there's just going to be so many. When you listen to that MLB like I'm calling it now, Harold Reynolds is going to compare him to Corey Seager because, like, you have to go. You know, who do when they're doing those comparisons? Uh, I'm trying to think of a great one. You can find the video on YouTube as a Royals fan with Harold Reynolds comp on Hunter Dozier on draft night. It was I can't remember who it was, but he pretty much he comped him to I want to say a future Hall of Famer. So those are always something fun to look forward to.
1: <laughs> I've, I've seen that one with Marcelo Mayer to Seager, and I, I mean, I like Marcelo Mayer. I think he's a probably a top six prospect in this draft. But the the secret comps with him are are, are sort of interesting. Um, I
3: got left-handed Rondone who can play shortstop.
1: See, now I, I I buy that a little more based on the swing, based on mm-hmm. maybe a general. I, I don't want to say like lack of athleticism, but I also think that Rondon is a Gold Glove third baseman because of his just being fundamentally perfect, and then also being very athletic. Whereas you know I, I think. You get a guy like Adalberto Mondesi, who's a gold glove caliber shortstop because of just elite athleticism. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a pretty big difference there. So like I get it, but at the same time, I see Jordan Lawler. He reminds me a lot of Bobby Witt Jr. Um I don't know that the, he can he's as good of a runner, but I think he can stick at shortstop long term. I get the idea of the swing and miss. A little bit older, right out of Dallas, Texas, you know prophetic power like i kind of get it so if lawler's there at seven like we kind of mentioned earlier in the rocker conversation i could see where the royals would go with another guy like that because they just paid one a bunch of money in 2019 um but i'm i'm with you i tend to go i tend to rank those guys lawler then watson then mayor then house um i did actually hear about a um workout that brady house did that posted Athleticism numbers and and all kinds of different athletic grades that were even better than Bobby Wood Jr. So I'm I'm kind of maybe readjusting my thinking on him. But I I I think it's interesting that you have Lawler at the top of that list because I think he would actually be sort of a familiar pick if that's who the Royals go with at seven.
3: And he's another one. You know, you talked about prospect fatigue. I feel like there's a degree of it with him. Like uh, I mean, Mayer was someone who. If I go back to like my way too early mock, which I always finish the day the season ends, and then I start adding picks as teams get knocked out of the postseason. I think I had Mayer like back end of the top ten. Um I had Watson going to the Indians because he fit their profile and a lot of places didn't have him as a first round talent yet. Uh House was I believe I had him to I had him like to the Mets, I wanna say. Yeah, I had him to the Mets. That was before Van Wagen got fired and they were just going for power hitters and big names. Uh, so it is interesting where in that group, and I had Lawler going to the Pirates, um, just based on what their front office had done. So part of me is pulling for that to still happen because then it'll just look really good. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, it is interesting. I think there's that degree of like, uh, fatigue with Lawler where the other guys have been doing things that are making them more interesting house with the athletic profile, Watson and all that stuff. And now, uh, I wonder if Lawler is sliding a bit. Because of the same fatigue you mentioned with rocker, where we kind of sit back and, if a guy doesn't have another level, even if that level is really good already, sometimes uh, we'll sit back and ding the player. It's, uh, Bryce Tarang comes to mind as a guy who got dung because dung. No, I don't think that's a word. Uh, he got dinged because of uh, you know he, there wasn't a there wasn't elite power with everything else. He was a good shortstop, but uh, if a guy is already excellent. I can't blame him for just staying excellent.
0: So by the way, when you mentioned uh hundred Dozier's comp on the, the draft night from Harold Reynolds, it was Jeff Kent, by the Jeff way, Jeff
3: Kent, yeah. Jeff Kent, you know, borderline hall of famers. I was wrong, but you know, close either
0: way. I, I definitely had to mute my mic and laugh for a moment when I, <laughs> when I saw that comp because the, those are just, they make me chuckle because it's just asinine. Most of the time, most of the things Harold Reynolds says are asinine anyways, but that's beside the point. Um, Going, well, I remember. Do you guys remember the night it was the 2018
1: draft? I was, I literally just sat down, turned the draft on, and that was a draft where I really thought Joey Bart should go number one, but everybody knew it was Casey Mize. So, anyway, they get to the, they're talking about Casey Mize and they're trying to find anybody else to talk about to go number one, and Harold Middleton. Kyler Murray and I was like oh my god and then Kyler Murray ended up going eighth I really thought Kyler Murray would be there when the Royals drafted Chris Bubich before the night started so that was interesting to see him go early in the first place And I didn't put him did on my that. board
3: because that, they that said he good. didn't want to play baseball
1: I, I never understood that and I never understood why he got to keep the money that he signed for anyway which was also that was also another thing that was just fascinating maybe about the bonus game but go yeah. ahead Joel
0: um, looking at guys, we talk a lot about the top half of the draft. Looking at the guys, maybe in round two or three, who are some names that you think the Royals should keep? Royal Spain should keep an eye on uh, for those those last those next couple of rounds.
3: I think, like I said, I was doing that m- mock on my own to, to fill time in a, <laughs> an empty room, and I think I gave him Peyton Stovall as one of those uh, shortstop prospects, second base guys who's kind of been a uh, you know a hotter name of late uh you know he's a bit of the grinder type he's not the biggest guy but i I feel like he would appeal to Dayton more like i look at peyton stovall and he just strikes me as a guy Dayton more you know like that that could fit that's a guy who uh he's got the i know he gets uh but mlb had him going to the indians and i think it's because there's a degree of tyler freeman in there and carson Tucker, and everyone else the indians have gone out of their way to acquire but if they are considering a shortstop and they go do well with the starter he makes sense there uh Carson Williams the one of the California kids Cody Schreiber another prep uh shortstop or are in that range Colson uh Montgomery is kind of a hot name of late though he's kind of more the Brady house camp where it's like well he might move off the position starting pitching if they decide to go that way from the college group and that's probably what like the Tommy Mace uh um Gavin Williams ECU that might be an interesting guy there I have to look at his height though I'm not sure off the top of my head how big I can I can't judge height like real general weakness in life uh if you had me I could not do like those uh carnival games guessing weights and heights that is not for me at all but Gavin Williams would be an interesting pitcher if he is available there um I gotta tell you I knew gavin williams
1: name i knew he had a big fastball i knew he pitched for ecu i was excited to watch him against rocker the other night i didn't know how good he was i had no idea what kind of pitcher like like outside of just throwing the ball really hard i had no idea what kind of a pitcher he was i enjoyed the hell out of watching gavin williams pitch against vandy the other night
3: he's probably making himself some money with you know with that game that game really I saw more Gavin Williams tweets as that game was scoring than I had seen all year. Uh, I agree. So yeah, he's definitely, uh, he is in the, the height range for the Royals, but yeah, he, and you know, he might be playing his way up. It's just, I guess the question becomes, you kind of get into that group of like Dylan Smith, Gavin Williams. Um, I know a lot of people are, I'm not as high on Jordan Wicks, but he's kind of a step higher. Michael McGreevy kind of, uh, is it McGreevy? I see this is uh people always get mad at my pronunciation. I, I don't watch with the volume on. I know I should, but I, I get tired of uh on TV analysis. So I'll sit there and watch a game, listen to a podcast in the background, uh, and take notes and watch with sound off. So I still butcher names. That that's how that happens. Some behind the you, scenes.
1: I'm gonna give you three guys that I don't hear talked about a lot that I really think would be fantastic gets the Royal second pick is at 43. So I'm going to rattle off three guys. You tell me if you think they can be there at 43. And if they are there at 43, does it make sense for the Royals? So the first guy is Ethan Wilson out of South Alabama. Like I don't understand what happened to him as in terms of being thought of as like a definite first round pick, but I don't see him in a lot of first round mocks anymore. The second guy Is third baseman Isaac Pacheco. I absolutely love Pacheco. Like I don't know, did we have him in our top twenty-five? We did. I've got him sixteen. I love Isaac Pacheco. Like I get it. There are, and so many factors that teams have to weigh, and there's so much data that I won't ever see. But I literally have never seen an at bat from Isaac Pacheco that I didn't like. And then the other guy since we've already talked about Doug – Greg Gavin Williams, I mean, is Doug Nikhazy out of Ole Miss. Like, I, I don't think Nikhazy is probably a starter long-term. But if he makes it to the big leagues as a reliever, like, he's got some dynamic stuff. I Again, I'm, and I'm not talking about these guys at number seven,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I haven't seen them even in the top – like, in consideration for the Royal second pick, like, even in that range. And they're all three guys who I would love at that 40 range.
3: So I had them all in my top 51 that I did last night. Uh, Pacheco I actually had going to the Cardinals. And before anyone goes a third baseman, uh, he fits their profile. Because if you kind of look at you know Nolan Gorman, you look at Jordan Walker, and you look at Pacheco, yes, they're all third basemen. But the other thing they all three have in common is they all kind of slid in terms of uh, perceived draft value. They're guys who were higher on boards before the quote-unquote draft season began uh and they all have big power the cardinals sell out for power as do the twins so i i I, at that point in time in the draft it was kind of uh i didn't love you know i I started looking at boards because i i was a little behind you know i didn't necessarily love was like Gunnar hoagland there uh they they did take zach thompson the pitcher but they've been all about athleticism and power potential, even in like their second and third round picks so I went a little off board i I put pacheco in the night top 19th overall pick he's going to be somewhere in the teens for me as well i agree with everything you said there apparently i can't speak today i apologize but uh, i won't add anything on top of that because you said everything needs to be said with him with ethan wilson i had him going to the twins in the comp round um my previous mock before that i had him in the first round his power evaporated he had 17 home runs as a freshman which was a record at south alabama I don't even know if he got to double digits this year i'd have to double check and look but he his, did yeah his uh his he walked a lot more his average is higher his bat, pip which are all good indicators as well but there is a having covered the indians like uh, i've seen with jake bowers and others there is a legitimate issue where like guys uh who one of their main things seems to be walk rate uh you really need to see some additional tools because uh, walk rate, it turns out, is not really something that helps translate across levels. If it's really low, that's a bad sign, but it being super high isn't necessarily a good sign. Uh, it's not you know negative, but it, it can sometimes not be a carrying and the fact that he's a left field only, uh, but he does fit some of the Twins profile stuff. So I had him as a comp round pick to the Twins. And then Nikhazy the I had going to the Brewers at pick 50 or 51 uh you know you talked about it. he's probably gonna end up as a reliever you look at what the brewers have done they took uh mitchell last year but the year before that they took ethan small and small really he, he is a lefty he was ex, you know top five in strikeouts left-handed pitcher sec multiple years of dominance the brewers will take a sliding prep talent they'll take some ceiling but they also really go for production and you know i had someone tweet at me like uh, i'm looking forward to this guy and his Nikhazy being the next James Karen shock, I'm like, they're very different pitchers <laughs> There, He is more of a, he doesn't have that big explosive stuff, but he has, you know, he's got three solid showing pitches that he can develop and work with. He's got some stuff that some deception. I think he'll probably, he's a, I mean, even though he is six feet, it's like, he's a guy where I think there's a chance he can start. Like I, I would definitely run him out there as a starter until he proves he can't. And then I feel like there's a pretty high floor just because of the secondary offerings in the bullpen uh, for him. But I don't think any of them are crazy there. And again, I guess you and I are the only ones standing on an Island for uh, Pacheco at this point.
1: I I got one more question for you before we, before we wrap you up here. Yes or no question. Christian Franklin at
0: 43. Yes or no.
3: I would say no but I would get why others would say yes.
0: Gotcha. I was going to say, I like going to Casey just because I think he's a psychopath. Like it's just, he's hilarious to watch pitch. Uh, what my last question here, um, obviously, so you covered the Indians and all that. What will, what is your prediction for the 2022 Cleveland baseball team? Then?
3: Uh, they're going to trade Jose Ramirez before the mid season. Uh, and, they're never going to fully re- uh, go all in on a rebuild. And so they're just gonna keep doing what they're doing. So uh, it's gonna be ugly because Jose Ramirez is irreplaceable. But uh, yeah, he'll get traded before the deadline next year to maximize value. What's the, uh, what's the new team
0: name gonna be? Because I know oh, the Indians are going away. Yeah, <laughs>
3: You meant the season. Now, no, oh, no, no. My, bet, my best bet is uh, because I am analytical, I went and I went to the trademark bureau, or whatever it is, and I looked at, Cleveland Indians currently own the names, the Broncos, the Naps, the Indians, and the Blues. Uh, they do not own the spiders those are owned by other people and we know ownership uh, does not like to spend money so i think it's going to be the blues because you can tie it to the history of the city you can also like look at the state of ohio where you have the reds and the browns and then you can also tie the blues to the whole thing with like the blues are the you know the foundation of rock and roll and while there's not like a huge huge blues scene in cleveland and i i did spend some time there <laughs> trying to find like blues acts from cleveland uh, and was not super successful I, I do think they could tie it in in that regard so my bet is the blues because again they do already own it that's a trademark they don't have to go out of their way to get
0: I actually, actually kind of, yeah i actually kind of like that one honestly um because i thought they were, immediately i was thinking okay they're just gonna go back to the spiders like it's unique kind of cool but if if ownership we all know how if you're a baseball fan you know it, the cleveland indians ownership so yeah they're not going to go and spend more money on that
3: uh, no, and uh, let's see, Guardians is taken, because there's, and for those who don't, can't see, people may not know this, uh, there's like these two statues on a bridge outside of Cleveland, they were called the Cleveland Guardians, so was kind of a nice piece of like history in the city, uh, and then Commodores came up because of just the tie to like Matthew Commodore Perry, and the only person who has a Cleveland Commodores thing is the Great Lakes Brewery in Cleveland, so that's an official beer sponsor, they sell their beer at the game, so I'm sure they could work out a deal somehow with that, but yeah, they I, my guess is the blues. I, I do not think it'll be the spiders. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking blues. I, I think it's interesting how they did it. I don't necessarily approve, but I am hundred percent certain they did what they did. So they could sell as much Cleveland Indians gear this year as possible to the angry fans and then send, sell as much Cleveland Indians gear next year to the more happy for the change fans they are trying to get big bites at each market with the uh, announced year out name change.
1: That is one hundred i I don't even know this to be a fact but that is a fact,
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely well uh, Jeff, thank you so much for for joining us again third consecutive year coming to talk and draft with those we really appreciate your time and I would love to have you on again soon uh either closer to the draft or after and kind of recap things.
3: yeah, totally no i uh I look forward to it. It's always fun to talk with you guys uh thanks for having me on and uh i'm gonna i'll I'll root for rocker to the Royals to make you guys happy.
0: We appreciate that a lot. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Thanks.